Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. It is Palm Sunday, and again, Christians worldwide celebrate this day, this moment in history, this moment in the life of our Savior Jesus. And on this Palm Sunday celebration, we're going to talk a little bit about expectations. Let's define expectations. Expectations, the hopes and desires we have in our lives and relationships. How many of you have expectations? How many of you have had expectations met? For a second, nobody's hand went up and I thought, oh, this is really bad. <laughs> How many of you had expectations not met? Yeah, I'll tell you, expectation not met was like the other night when I decided, you know what, I'm going to have a sugary treat. I don't usually do that, but I'm going to have ice cream. There's ice cream bars in the freezer. I saw them the other day. I'm like, I just want a chocolate-covered ice cream bar. And I went and I bit into the chocolate-covered ice cream bar, and you know what? My expectations were not met. Because, you know, I don't eat these things all the time, so they've been sitting in that freezer for a long while. You know where the ice cream was? Some shrilly little thing at the very end of the popsicle stick. And I'm like, I mean, just, just not what I, I mean, the chocolate was good, but I was looking for the creamy vanilla ice cream there and it was just, ah. Life was like this sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we have expectations, we have hopes and desires, and they are met maybe even beyond our dreams, beyond our expectations. But yet there are moments in life when what we expected is just not what we experienced, not what we got. That's kind of what unfolds here on this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So what's going on here? You know, we heard some of this in the text that Craig read just a few moments earlier from the Gospel of John. Now, all four Gospels, you know, give us different highlights of this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. One chapter earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus stood at the grave, the tomb of a dead man, a guy named Lazarus. A guy had been dead four days, which meant when then their understanding, he was definitely dead, and his body was stinky. And yet Jesus says, move the stone out of the way. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And then out comes Lazarus, a guy that's been dead, definitely, definitely dead, dead, because he's been dead four days, alive and breathing. And imagine, you know, if, it was, if that was today, it would be on Instagram and Twitter and, and TikTok and Facebook, and people would be buzzing all about this. And, and they were. They were buzzing all about this. Because there were so many that were gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover celebration, the Passover feast, a celebration that God's people, the Jewish people, had celebrated for centuries. It's a celebration that goes back to when they were slaves in Egypt and when God, through the prophet Moses, led them from slavery out of Egypt toward the promised land. On that last night they were there, they had this special meal. They put the blood of the lambs on the door frames of their house. And the next day, God brought them out of slavery. And they would celebrate this every year. And so by some estimates, estimates, estimates estimations, ooh, by some estimates, there were some like maybe 3 million people gathered in Jerusalem at this time. So there's crowds of people gathered around. Everybody's buzzing about what happened, about this Jesus who probably many others have maybe seen and heard about. And now he raised a guy from the dead. 
And so Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And let's read this part of John's gospel of what's going on as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They're just very excited. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot of little things, too. We're going to try to highlight some of the little things that we maybe just don't quite capture if we just read through the gospel. Like even these, these words that Jesus, you know, are these words that people say to Jesus. The expectations they had as they say these words. Because as Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, he comes riding on a, on a donkey into Jerusalem. And the people, their expectations, their hopes, as they shout out these praises, these words that mean save us now, is that he is a king. You know, and the idea of a triumphal entry is a little maybe foreign to our culture today. We still see this sometimes in, in some Nations, you'll have a leader who wants to have a big procession to kind of show, you know, their strength and their power. And so this was very common in, in this culture, in this time, even for God's people, for the Israelites, to have a king come riding in on a war horse, you know, to show that he was a champion. Often they would have the spoils of war and the POWs. And the people would shout and praise and welcome their king. Their expectations that Jesus, you know, this guy who had performed all these miracles, who had shown such great power, was going to come in as a king, and he was going to establish Israel as an independent nation once again. Because at this time, they were occupied by the Roman Empire. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And these words, these words come from another portion of Scripture. Let's read these words together here. These words from, go ahead and go to the next slide, from Psalm 118. We beg you, O Lord, save us. We beg you, O Lord, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the Lord's house. A psalm that was a psalm of thanksgiving and celebration of one God's people would sing at this time of the Passover, a one of confident victory that God would provide for them, that God would bless them. So rightly so, they are, they are, these, these words, this song is on their lips, and they're connecting it to Jesus. But again, the expectations they have is that Jesus is going to be a king who will rule over them and who will conquer their enemy, the Roman Empire. In fact, they add something to their words that was not in this psalm that we just read. It's the last verse, the last portion of the verse, words from John 12, 13. The words, blessed is the king of Israel. Their expectations, what they want is a warrior king. They want Jesus to be their king. They have expectations of who he is and what he will do for them. It's not the first time. We'll jump back a little earlier in John's gospel. John chapter 6, there's a great crowd that is gathered around Jesus to hear him teach, to see him perform miracles. They're all getting kind of hungry. 
And then Jesus performs this miracle. Thousands have gathered around to hear him. And the only thing that he has to feed them is what? Two fish and five loaves of bread. And he feeds everyone. They all have their fill and they have leftovers. And then this, you know, is what they say. Let's read John 6, 14. When the people saw the miracle Jesus performed, they said... This man is certainly the prophet who is to come into the world. And right after that, verse 15 says, Jesus being aware that they want to crown him as king, you know, goes out the back door. He gets away. Because being king, the king that they were expecting, the king that they were desiring and wanting was not what he had come to do. But Jesus was very intentional. All the other times we meet Jesus, you know, we see him either maybe in a boat, but often he is walking. But this one time, this one time, he sends, one of the other gospels tells us, he sends some of his disciples to find a colt, a donkey that has never been ridden before. And this is important. I mean, if, if a king is going to ride a donkey, you know, this would be an appropriate donkey to ride. If this donkey was going to carry somebody who had significance, something sacred, it'd be one that had never been ridden before, like a brand new car. No one's ever put any, you know, mileage on the wheels. But again, there are, there are deeper connections to what God had unfolded, what God was telling his people throughout what we call the Old Testament. Back in 1 Kings, David is an old man now. He's on his deathbed. And he instructs the prophet and the priest to place his son Solomon on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey, his donkey, or his mule. And these words that he says here, 1 Kings 1.33, let's read this together. Put my son Solomon on a mule and take him to Gehan. Solomon, who is going to be greater than his father, and so they do just that. They put Solomon on there. He goes up, and he is anointed as king. And then he comes back to the praises of the people as he's riding on this unridden, never ridden before mule. Jesus knows what he's doing as he rides in to Jerusalem. And John even references here from the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9. We're going to also read verse 10. Let's read Zechariah 9 together. Rejoice with all your heart, people of Zion. Shout in triumph, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble and rides on a donkey, on a colt, a young animal pack. You see, you know, a king, if a king was going to ride into the city, into Jerusalem, a king would be on a war horse. What comes to mind for me would be like, and this will date. Some of you won't even know what this is. You can Google it, though. It'd be like Jesus riding in a Yugo. <laughs> you know, there's nothing fancy with a Yugo, but here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Jesus is not riding on a big Sherman tank. You know, he's not riding in a war horse. He's not showing that he's going to conquer, at least not in the way that they expect. Because they are right, Jesus is a king. And Jesus is going to do battle. He is going to conquer, but not in the way that they expect. 
Now, we have, of course, hindsight, so we know that there's more that's going to unfold and what Jesus is going to do. Zechariah 9, 10, you know, again, those who read these words of John who knew Zechariah would understand the full context of Zechariah's words. Let's read this together. I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, this king comes not just to bring peace for Jerusalem. He comes to bring peace for the world to the very ends of the earth. He comes to restore life for all people. You know, and as we, we consider this, you know, we, we look at this and say, wow, why, why, again, did they not fully understand this? They had the scriptures. They learned these scriptures. But John tells us about, and he concludes himself in this because he's one of those disciples. He says, at first his disciples did not understand this. I didn't put the reference there, but that's from John's gospel, chapter 12. 13, I think. At first, his disciples didn't understand it's only after Jesus had suffered and died, which he told them several times he was going to do, and rose again from the grave, that the Holy Spirit, it was Pentecost, came upon them, that they really opened their whole minds to say, now we get it. We understand that he is our king. And we understand what kind of king he is. We understand that he came to do battle, and the battle that he did was not against the Roman occupiers but against sin, death, and the devil. Luke 12, 18 says these words here. Go to the next slide. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Or not Luke, John 12, 16. Only afterwards did they finally understand what had been done to them, why this unfolded the way that it was. This was God's plan from the beginning. Their expectations, their expectations are so very earthy. Their expectations were revolved around the circumstances in which they found themselves in. Kind of like that, you know, ice cream bar. You know, that many of them thought, even Judas was one of the reasons he betrayed Jesus, was that it did not meet, he did not meet the expectations. You know, and here's a question for us just to ponder. And this question here is, um, what sign would be so, would be big enough for you to believe? You know, I think like, if I had been there that day, if I had seen everything that Jesus had done, surely I would have believed, Right? But even the disciples, those who were like with him for three years, who lived each day with him, who saw him do things that others did not see and say things that others, you know, did not hear him say, did not fully understand or comprehend. Their expectations were just not in line with who he was and what he was about to do. So a question for us, I think, to ponder is this next question. What do you expect Jesus to do in your life? I'm not going to answer that for you. I think it's just a question to ponder. What do you expect Jesus to do in your life? 
Because again, those who were gathered on that day who welcomed Jesus in, I think in many ways we find ourselves in the same way. In Palm Sunday, we love sometimes to think like we're those crowds of people and we're shouting and cheering Jesus, Hosanna, be great to be there. Kind of like you know, the Huskers were winning national champions and we're excited, we're pumped. But the reality is they were looking for a Savior who would transform their circumstances, not the one who would transform their life. And I think that's often we find ourselves, that we want a Savior that would transform our circumstances, not necessarily transform our life. But Jesus is all about life transformation, about transforming not just you know, the situation we were in, but our lives in the midst of the situation we find ourselves in. Whatever circumstance you're going through right now, that Jesus is working through them. He may sometimes change our circumstance, but he wants to transform our lives. So another question for reflection, because this, this is Lent, and Lent is a great time to spend some time reflecting. And as, as North Americans, we don't do a lot of this as Christians. Spend time reflecting. So another question to reflect upon is how is Jesus currently at work in your life? He is at work in your life. But how? In what ways? Is he working to transform your life? Now, you know, we, we kind of stop at the Palm Sunday reading. And another way to talk about this Sunday in the church calendar is also call it Passion Sunday. And traditionally on Passion Sunday, we'd read like the entire passion narrative, which is Jesus riding to Jerusalem, to him cleansing the temple, to, you know, him engaging with the Pharisees again and the Sadducees, to his time in the upper room of the disciples, to his time in the garden, his betrayal, his trial, and his death on the cross. And if we read further into John's gospel, we'd read these words here from John 12, 23. Let's read this together. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This context swirling around here. There were some Greeks that were part of this community. They were not Jewish people. And, and they had heard about Jesus. And they wanted to meet Jesus. And Jesus is saying, now is the time. This is what it's all about. The cross. Jesus giving his life for you, for me, for the world. The king that has come to conquer, not with a war horse, but with his very life. That our lives are transformed, not just for this moment, not just for tomorrow, but forever. By his grace, his forgiveness, his promise for eternity with him forever. As we talk about growing in Jesus and sharing his love, as we reflect on this Palm Sunday going into Holy Week, here's a challenge that I would provide for us to consider. And the challenge is this. Prayerfully talk with Jesus about one area in your life that needs his transformation. Not about the expectations that we might have to change our circumstances, but ultimately for us to say, Lord, we're going to say this in just a few minutes in a prayer, your will be done. Transform me. Help me to meet your expectations for my life, my relationship with you, and my relationship with all others. Let your love and your spirit transform me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we with Christians worldwide celebrate your triumphal entry. And Lord, like those so long ago, 
you did not meet their expectations. Their expectations were just not aligned with what your whole plan was, what your purpose was. And Lord, at times, you know, our expectations of you are not in alignment with who you are and how you want to transform our lives. So we pray, Lord, that as we journey through the remainder of this Holy Week into the celebration of your resurrection and into each and every day that comes after that, that we are receptive to your transformation in our lives, to your grace and forgiveness that is ours through your death and resurrection, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, 